There are times um, when I am reading through the scriptures when I simply get stuck on a particular phrase. I don't know if that ever happens to you. Uh, it really happens quite often for me. Uh, and it happened this week. Uh, and the phrase came through uh, the ending of the opening statement that Paul makes uh, in our epistle reading today. You might want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. He's nearing the end of his epistle. We've been reading through Ephesians over the last number of, of weeks, perhaps even months. I haven't looked back, but we're going sequentially through this wonderful epistle. And he comes now almost to the end with a ur really urgent exhortation. And this is what he says. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Paul's whole passion is with the behavior of his people, how they live their life together. Now, he's not unconcerned about what they believe because how they believe impacts how they live, but his whole emphasis is how are you walking? How are you living? Be careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The wonder of the gospel in Paul's mind is that because of God's intervention in and through the Messiah of, of Israel, that we now who are in Christ Jesus have a choice. Before we simply did not. We were simply among the unwise, but now we have a choice. We can choose to be wise or remain being unwise. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Time is a gift given to each and every one of us. Time can be wasted, or time can be used well. Make the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Paul's a realist. He knows that a new has been given birth within the old. The old remains, and it's all tainted by and corrupted by evil. We live in that world. And then he restates his exhortation both negatively and then positively. And this is what he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, right? But understand what the will of the Lord is. And there's the phrase. Paul's whole thought in the first five chapters of his letter, comes to this profession. Do not be foolish. Understand the will of God. That's the alternative. We can either be foolish or we can understand what the will of God is and live our lives in accordance with it. That's what he's saying. And that truly struck me. It's so simple <laughs> if we understand what the will of the Lord 
years. Right? How do you understand? How do I understand? Well, I find myself asking, how does Paul understand it? Because he is the one who claims to have received revelation, great revelation. And he is the one who says, I can teach you the will of the Lord. And so I found myself being compelled because I was stuck on that phrase and going, how would I answer that question? Having to go back and reread the entire epistle. Um, and I'm going to have to take you on that very quick journey. It's not going to be a long journey, I promise you. But it will be a glorious one. And so we're going to walk through and see what does Paul say as to what is this will of the Lord that he is wanting us to understand and live in accordance with. It begins at the very beginning with his magnificent opening statement of the first chapter, verses 3 through 10. One long sentence in Greek. Remarkable. Remarkable. He says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. He starts off with praise. He says, we bless the God who has blessed us. And he has blessed us with everything that we need to live the life he calls us to live. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those who are in Christ, by faith and baptism, are in Christ Jesus, part of his body. And this blessing uh, goes back even before the foundations of the world. He says, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, God dreamed us up long before he dreamed up time. Before the foundation of the world, what? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Part of the dream of God, the purpose of God, is that you and I, who are in Christ Jesus, should be holy and blameless before him. That's why it's so important how we walk. That's part of the purpose of God, that you and I and all those in Christ Jesus should be holy and blameless before him. He goes on, he says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons, daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is God created us as his creatures, made in his image, but his destiny for us was to become sons and daughters, to be absolutely, not metaphorically, but truly adopted into the very family of God. Otherwise, we cannot be holy and blameless before him. We cannot walk in a manner worthy of our Lord. This is from the heart of God. In love, he predestined us. This is our destiny to be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God according 
to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with he has blessed us in the beloved. It only happens because of Jesus. It only happens in Christ Jesus. And he goes on. He says, in him we have redemption. Present tense. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. And then he goes on to talk about the forgiveness of our sins. The glorious nature that we have been forgiven all things. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in the person and presence of his spirit. God's grace known and revealed in Jesus Christ is now poured out upon us through the gift of his spirit. We have been lavished with that spirit. And that spirit is also the spirit of wisdom and insight. It's not just a gift, but it does something. It gives us wisdom, it gives us insight. What? Making known to us the mystery of his will. Paul's saying God has acted in the Son and the Messiah of Israel. And through that action, he's now poured out his spirit upon us. And part of the deal is he is now revealing to us the mystery of his will. It's always been there. We just haven't known it. Right? He's revealing to us, to make known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, this plan that he is acting on, right? Which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time. Just get your eyes wrapped around it. God has had this plan from the very get-go. He has been working on it. It has come to a climax in this life, death, and resurrection, and now he's saying, I am letting you in on it. I'm sharing the mystery, right? As a plan for the fullness of time, and what is that? Here it is. To unite all things in him, in Christ the crucified Messiah of Israel. Things in heaven and things on earth. That's it. That is the mystery of the will of God revealed to us by the Spirit of God. That God who created all things, who loved whatever exists into being, did so so that at one day, in the fullness of time, he might unite himself in his Son and through his Son with that which he has created. And especially with the apex of that creation, the one creature made in his image. You and I. That is the ultimate will of God. When we understand that, we live in accordance with it. Right? That's what he's saying. A remarkable thing. Uh, Paul gets down in the second chapter of Ephesians to talk a little bit more about what has begun in and through this life, this death, and this resurrection. 
He's talking about how that union, that final union is going to become and has taking place even as we speak. Uh, so he talks about the redemption that comes through the crucified Christ. He goes this, verse 8 of chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved, past tense. By grace, by the grace of this life, this death, this resurrection, and the gift of his victory to us in the form of his spirit. By grace and grace alone are you and I saved, right? That through faith, through the awakening to the call of God, through the preaching of the gospel of God. And then through the sacramental union as we come into his body. Saved by grace through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. We have no grounds for this. It is simply a gift given to us that we receive with joy and humility. He goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's important to grasp what he's saying. You and I are his workmanship. All of humanity is God's workmanship. He's not talking about us doing random good deeds. He's not wanting us to be mini Boy Scouts walking around this world. He is talking about the call of God for the steward of God within his creation. We are the one made in his image, made to rule his creation on his behalf and take it to where he wants it to go. We were given in the garden that kingly and priestly, stewardly role. We were to represent God to the creation and then represent creation back to God. That's what means to be the workmanship of the creator. And then we fell. We said no to that. We don't want to do that. We want to do our own thing, thank you very much. And now God in Christ has redeemed that steward. And is only slowly now beginning to renew that steward so that you and I can actually do what we were created to do to fulfill the role that he gave us within the story of creation. We were created, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And he goes on then to say, who is this we now that I'm talking about? He says, well, remember that at one time you Gentiles, he is writing predominantly to a group, a community of Gentiles, a few Jews spattered in, but not many. You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, Gentiles, get it. You were not part of Israel. You were not part of the family of God, this Abrahamic family that was called specially by God for the sake of his world. 
He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, our shalom, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. One union between two very, very disparate groups. He did so by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. That's where this union and communion begins, with this creation of this one new man, this new humanity that is now made up of not simply Jews, but all of the nations who come to Christ and to be in Christ through faith. That's what he's saying. He made the one in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's where it begins, says Paul. That God, because of his history, as coming as a son to be the Messiah of Israel, to bring Israel's history to its great climax, and his victory over death now opens up life to all nations, both Jews and non-Jews, and all on the same basis, faith in the faithfulness of God as seen in the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah of Israel. That's the gospel. And Paul says, it has begun. It's happening even in your midst. Paul goes on to say, my whole ministry is all about this. My whole calling is nothing except this. Chapter 3 is what that's all about of Ephesians. Uh, we go into verse 8 of chapter 3. It's a really a wonderful thing, but he says this, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. That's what I'm doing, he says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I get the joy, he says, of going around to talk to Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of the Messiah of Israel, because it is good news for them. That's what he's saying, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He says, as I preach, I am shedding light on the purpose of the world. I am letting people in on that mystery that the Creator has had always in play and has been working diligently even to this day. I have been given that light to reveal to everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for God. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known, not simply to human beings, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He says the angels and the demons together haven't not been revealed to them as to what's going on, it is now being revealed to them through this manifold wisdom of God, through the unveiling of this mystery. Even the heavenly realms, the spiritual forces 
are now witnessing what God has been about and continues to be about. It's wonderful. But there is one phrase missing so far in what I have been reading to you, and this is it. He says, I have been given that grace to preach the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. It is through the church of God that God's plan is being worked out. It is through the church of God that God's manifold wisdom is being displayed before rulers and authorities. These tiny, vulnerable, infant communities in the Mediterranean world in those first 30 years of the Christian life. He says, this is where the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to one and all. It is through the church. That is God's plan. And brothers and sisters, there is no other. None. No plan B if plan A doesn't go well. We are it. Because again, we are the renewed stewards for God's renewed creation according to the story that he is telling. We are needed in that telling. That's what he said. So how does God use the church? How does God grow the church? That becomes another of the mysteries, and that's what chapter 4 is all about of Ephesians. He goes on to say this. Paul, he says, God has given through the risen Christ gifts to his church, and what he has given is this, apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Uh, the gifts that have been given are those that give shape to the body, to the church itself. There is these institutionalized things that are as much important, as important as the Spirit comes into it, because the Spirit uses these things to build up his body. He says there are gifts that have been given for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ so that you and I can do what we were created to do, that we can do the work of that renewed steward within the creation according to the story. <laughs> For building up the body in Christ. And how long do we go? Well, until we all attain. We all. Each and every one of us individually and all of us communally together. Each and every one of us attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is discipleship in its most basic form. We have been gifted by the Christ 
so that you and I together and individually might grow up into maturity so that we can actually do what God has asking us to do, to be the people he's creating us to be, right? So that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in him. Remarkable. Remarkable. And Paul is so convinced that this is the task of the church and that this is, process is already at work in the church, that he knows that God has gifted these bodies with these things so that we might actually do and grow into this maturity. And then every single exhortation that follows from this is part of this. He's now saying, how then should you walk? Well, let me tell you how you should walk. This is what maturity looks like. This is what Christ's lifeness looks like. So he comes. Every single admonition comes out of that understanding. And so we come back to our text from which we began, chapter 5 and verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Christ the Redeemer, look carefully then how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, of this time, this moment because the days are evil. We're not Pollyannas. We get the fact the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord How do you now understand that phrase? How are we to understand it so that we might truly embrace it and live our lives in accordance with it? Well, it seems to me that two big statements need to come to the fore, and the biggest one is this. The ultimate purpose of God is absolute union and communion with all that he has made, beginning with us. His ultimate purpose is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the big picture. 
The second statement is this, that the chosen vehicle of God for this grand purpose is the church. It's you and me together living our life together, working this stuff out together or not. Or not. To be absolutely blunt, you and I need to hear something very clearly. We are told in our age that you and I need to find and make our own purpose in life. Well, that is bosh. Utter bosh. According to this will of God, you cannot find your own purpose on your own. You can only find it in Christ Jesus and in his body, the church. That's it. If you and I are to grow up into maturity, if you and I are to grow up to be the people we were created to be and to do the things we were created to be, we have to do it in Christ Jesus and in and with his body. There is no other way it can work. None. Do you and I understand that? Will you and I embrace that? That's the question. In this moment, given our circumstances, are we being foolish? Or are we learning to understand what the will of God is and living it with gusto? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.